להפסיק. Happy Father's Day to the dads in the room. I met at least one first-time Father's Day uh, dad in the room. I, today, I decided to bring a couple little trinkets that are from my house. Uh, if you know me, you know that I am zero sentimental. Like, there's literally nothing in my house that I really, if, if it's burning, let it burn. Right? Like, let's, let's, let's get the insurance. Uh, however, these two uh, were in my mama's house. And she's getting rid of stuff. I don't really know why she's getting rid of stuff. And so she's getting rid of stuff. And, and uh, she asked me if I wanted it. I'm the oldest. So I guess that means I get first dibs. I'm like, Mama, I don't want anything. Like, you, you keep it. Then she showed me one of the items. And this is my, my Papa Pettis. These are, uh, he had 22 years in the Air Force. Uh, he, he, uh, he was a master sergeant by the time he was done. And she had, she had this on the, I'm like, hey, I'll take that. Uh, I am that sentimental. Let's go. Let me, let me have that. <laughs> yeah, so Papa Pettis uh, served 22 years, evidently lied about his age and went in. I've seen, I've seen pictures of him on a horse. He, he wasn't a real tall man, so he joined the Army. And then while he was in the Army, the Air Force was created. So he, he was in the Air Force before his Air Force. And uh, this, this one right here, uh, one, one gentleman from last service came up and he goes, he goes, you know what that is? I'm like, I got no idea. I, they look cool. I'm proud of him for what he did and for serving us. He goes, that's the Air Award. And I'm like, what, what is that? It's, uh, he goes, that means he flew 25 missions. My, my grandfather was the belly gunner on a bomber. So you got that if you flew 25 missions of over two hours. So he flew those during World War II. And then he said, there's a little, there's a little oak leaf in the middle. He says, that means he did it twice. And you could go home after the first one. So he volunteered 25 more times. Made me get a little chill bumpy. I don't know about you, right? Like, that's my granddaddy. That's my mama's daddy, Papa Pettis. And this is, uh, this, this going to stay at my house for a little while, right? Like we, I'm not the, uh, my brothers and sisters, they, they ain't having this one. This was mine. <laughs> so she had one other item in there that uh, I decided to bring home. And this is my other grandfather, C.C. Reeves. Uh, this is his Bible. It's the King James, so you probably couldn't read it, but I can. Uh, he had, he, uh, my grandfather, C.C. Reeves, uh, he, he came to Christ in his like, mid-30s, so he believed in Jesus, which uh, impacted my dad very directly. And my grandfather, when he believed, like, he, was, he was all in. And so if, if you met him and you go, Papa, where, is it, where does it say blank in the Bible? He'd start quoting scripture. And he didn't believe until he was 35. So like it was about it was about a big change in his life at that point. And you go, Papa, where does it say something about I, I don't know, you name it. He'd start quoting. It was it was not the greatest question because he didn't know where it was, but he was gonna quote till he found it. <laughs> so there's whole books of this thing that he had memorized. He, he had this really amazing memory. He uh, he he passed this thing down to his family, not not like the literal book. But through his mind and the way it transformed his heart, I'm a beneficiary of who my granddaddy Reeves was. I get to stand on, on these two men's shoulders as my mama stands on Papa Pettis, as my dad stands on, on Papa Reeves. Like, I get to stand on their shoulders. So I do this all the time. We got guys in this room that are first, the first believers in Jesus in your family. And like, you are cutting the ground. That's a difficult ground to cut. That's my, my two granddaddies were cutting that ground. And then my father got to stand, my mother got to stand on their shoulders, and I'm, I'm up here. Like, I'm, I'm standing on all them shoulders, which is a gift 
and I'm thankful for it. I'm really thankful for you dads in the room that are standing on other people's shoulders and carrying on. And I'm thankful for the dads in the room. Like this, you, you at the very beginning, getting it started. Thank you for your faithfulness to God. Uh, thank you for you guys that served our country, that, that, that allow us to be here in freedom today. We appreciate your sacrifice or your, your fathers or your grandfathers. We appreciate that good work. On a Father's Day, I thought it'd be a good moment to just, like, remember what matters, right? Like, like what matters, these things. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is a chapter in the Bible in a, in a pretty simple book late in the Bible called Hebrews. It's this whole chapter where God really explains to us what matters to him. He does it with a simple definition at the beginning of the chapter, and then he just tells stories of men and women who lived out the definition. I don't know how you were at school. Math made sense to me. English did not. I know that's a shocker based on my, my dialect. But uh, it always helped me when I saw a definition, if like you could use it for me in a sentence. Like, okay, I see, see what it means, but it helps me to see it in a sentence. And it's really what God's doing. He's taking this idea of faith, which he says matters, and he's using it with these stories of men and women throughout history. I read a definition this week that I thought I would give to all of you. This applies to everybody, but particularly to dads. This is, uh, this is D.L. Moody. He, is, uh, he, was, he was Billy Graham before there was a Billy Graham in the United States. He was a great evangelist. And he was known for just making stuff simple. And this was great. He says, our greatest, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but, at, but succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. That was, that was a great thought. Let, let me read it again. You think about it. Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. And so as we look at Hebrews chapter 11, like it's a great moment for dads, in particular on a Father's Day, but for everybody in the room. Ladies, men, children, all of us, for us to look and go, man, does, does something in my life really matter? And does it match with what God says really matters? Let me read you. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Very simple, one verse. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and received righteousness that comes by faith. One verse. Couple, couple three sentences. It was by faith. We were spending this entire time talking about faith that Noah built a large boat. If you want to just summarize it, uh, it's not very complicated. Noah listened, and then he obeyed, and then he built. You guys know this story? The last two people we've talked about on Sunday mornings, we talked about Abel. I polled the room on Abel. About half the room had ever heard of Abel, and that's cool because that's, kind of, that's a great place to learn. Glad, glad to have you here. If you don't know it, if you do know it, this will be a review. Last week, we talked about a guy named Enoch. It's just fun saying Enoch's name. I don't know why we don't use that name more in our culture. Enoch. That's just a cool name. Anyway, almost nobody had ever heard of Enoch in the room last week. This guy's name, Noah, and a lot of y'all, like you've heard of Noah, right? Like you, you've heard the story of Noah, Noah and the ark. You, you might have grown up with a little toy at your house, a little toy ark. I don't know. Maybe you saw a video where you saw the 
Koala bears holding hands, like dancing and singing, going up into the ark, right? And the giraffes ducking their head to get in, and the monkeys wrestling on the gangplank going. I don't know how y'all saw it. Noah and his wife, like, dancing on the boat. Like, it, it's just like this fun kid story. It's like a fairy tale. That's kind of how we tell it, right? That's, that's, that's how a lot of us have heard it. Yet when you read in the scriptures, it takes on a totally different flavor. It, it's not all fun and games, for sure. This story is originally told in the first book in the Bible, which is called Genesis, in, in chapter 6. It begins the story of Noah, and it sets the scene. Uh, it sets the scene on where the culture was going. Uh, culture was rapidly sliding uh, in, in the wrong direction toward destruction. So I don't know if you guys remember, I mean, at the very beginning, we would say God created the earth, and there was, there was a guy named Adam and his wife named Eve, and they sinned, and uh, so we call that the fall. They had a son, Cain, and a son named Abel. We talked about this two weeks ago, and very quickly, the very second generation on the planet, Cain kills his brother, Abel. But if you read the story, it seems like everybody else that existed at that time, all the siblings, all the people that were beginning to populate the, the earth, all, all of those folks, like they kind of shunned Cain for what he did in that moment takes a little while. You get a few more generations in. If I remember right, it's six more generations. There's a guy named Lamech. Russell talked about him last week. And Lamech has actually killed somebody and he's bragging about it. So the, the violence is kind of escalated. So, so there's this Cain that uh, does it and he's kind of ostracized for it. And now Lamech does it and he's bragging about it and people are kind of applauding it, it feels like. And now you get to chapter 6. And the world has continued to slide, and now violence and, uh, man, just this, this light thinking about life begun to dominate, dominate the earth. Uh, Tony Evans calls it uh, a demonized culture. If you read it, there's, there's, for some of y'all that are like Bible scholars, this is, they, people get so excited about these folks. They call the Nephilim, and like, Russell would give that at least 10 minutes today. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. So y'all can call Russell, ask him. He'll tell you about Nephilim. It, it's, a, it's a fun conversation, but I'm going to simplify it and just say that culture had been gripped by the demonic. You're like, well, that's, that's a little uh, dramatic, isn't it? Like using the word demon is uh, in our culture, like so it's getting a little carried away in a dramatic kind of way. Well, now nah, when you read what's happening in this culture, they have begun to rebel against the design of the creator. God created it to go a certain way. Like God created life and he valued life. And now the culture was pushing back against it in a violent kind of way. God created sex and, and the beauty and glory of sex between a man and a woman. And society was starting to push back a different kind of way. I don't know anybody familiar with any kind of day like that. Like culture was kind of coming off the rails. And there was this, there was this one guy. The Bible says this about the culture. It's God's view on the culture. God says about the people on the planet at that time, I'm sorry I ever made them. <laughs> That's intense. It's, it's uh, powerful. <laughs> How about being the creator and looking at all mankind and all of what they think is greatness, looking at the 8 billion of us on the planet right now and saying, I'm sorry I ever made them. That, that's power. It's also sad as he considers who they've become. 
And then the very next line in Genesis chapter 6 says, but Noah, one dude, found favor with the Lord. So evidently, all of culture was going this way, and there was this one guy, he's going the other way. It actually says in verse 9 of Genesis chapter 6, I'll read it to you. This is the account of Noah and his family. On Father's Day, fellas, that's a pretty pretty cool line. This is the account of Noah and his family, not him all by himself. Noah, his wife, and you'll see as we go forward, he had three sons, and they had three wives, the eight of them, Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. It's interesting, just three simple things. It says he's righteous, which is his relationship with God. He's righteous. You'll read it again in, in Hebrews chapter 11. He's righteous because of his faith. He's blameless, which means his relationships with the people in his radius, the people that he know. He was good to the people that he know. He was good at the folks in his neighborhood, with the folks in his neighborhood. And then finally, it uh, says this line again that we heard about with Enoch last, last week. He walked with God. Russell last week asked us to take a walk with God. Anybody, anybody do that? You don't have to raise your hand. It'd be embarrassing if you did. It'd be embarrassing if you don't. Like, so like, like uh, it, he asked us to go walk and just spend some time. I had, I had a couple moments this week where just asking the Lord for some direction. It was good. I, I didn't come out knowing exactly what I was supposed to do, but I felt like I was in the right place asking him. It's good to walk with God, to do this thing in relationship. There's an uh, uh, artist He's on a country station. He ain't really country. His name Jelly Roll. You, what you talking about? That's like the best name for an artist ever. They call his name Jelly Roll, and he wrote a song, and it is. I mean, theology isn't actually half bad in the song. Like, like he says, I only talk to God when I need a favor. He don't say it like that. He goes, I only talk to you. know, you got, you got to do this. Like, now, Jelly Roll twice of me. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, like, he, he's singing his thing. He said, I only talk to God when I need a favor. I only pray when I ain't got a prayer. So who the hell am I to expect a Savior? That ain't bad, bro. I, mean, I can't quote the rest of the song. I probably need to be careful with the rest of the lyrics. But, like, he's, he's processing his life. Eventually, he's trying to get a girl, and he's asking God for help. You know, every song goes that way. But, like, like he's... Uh, He's processing this thing, these things that he knows about God, and he's trying to figure them out, and he's being real honest about it. The only time I talk to him, when I need a favor. And, and that line, who the hell am I, which obviously he's taking a concept from the Bible, hell, the end. Um, it, I, I love, I mean, it's just, it's just super creative to expect the Savior. So I, he's saying, man, I can't even, I, I'm asking for a favor, but I shouldn't be asking him for a favor. Pretty interesting, honest line from, from a guy singing a song. Now, I'd love to sit down with Jelly Roll, have a conversation, right? Because, man, if you're here this morning and your life does not stack up, God still wants to hear from you. If you're a believer in Jesus, he wants to hear from you. Now, he's, he's, he's going to demand some stuff when, he, when, you, when you ask him for that favor. But he, he's ready to listen to you if you'll speak to him. If you haven't met Jesus yet, sometimes folks say your prayers don't get through, get through the ceiling, and, and that's accurate. If you haven't met Jesus, if you have not believed and put your faith in Jesus, then in some sense God's not listening. But if you were to call out and repent and, like, own it, this is who I am, God. I haven't believed in you. I want to believe in you now. He's all ears. 
and he'll respond in that very moment. But what I, I, I wish I could tell Jelly Roll is like, man, this thing was designed for us to walk with God. Like, he's, he's listening, and you're able to listen because we're walking together. It's way easier to hear somebody when you're up close. And so you don't have to all of a sudden, like, go with that last-second prayer. You ain't talked to him in a month. Like, if you're just kind of there, you're usually where he wants you to be. Walking with God, like, the natural thing that happens when you walk with God is that you can hear him, and he hears you. There's, there's a line in the passage that I think is particularly cool. NLT says that Noah hears things that have never happened before. Uh, the, another translation says, things not yet seen. We heard that in, in the first verse. That was the definition of faith. He believes in the things not seen. So Noah, I don't know if you can imagine this, but I imagine, my imagination gets carried away with me at times, but God and Noah walking, they're walking this way, everybody else is going this way, and God leans into Noah and goes, Noah, it's going, it's going rain. Noah's like, I believe you. What's, what's rain? Right? Like, I don't know what rain is. And he goes, well, God says, no, hey, it's, it's, it's water that's going to come down from the heavens. <laughs> Noah's like, you, you messing with me, God. Like, because they know it. Like, why would he like Like, no, nah, seriously, water's going to come down from heavens, from the heavens in this whole place. And it kind of gets serious. This whole world's going to be flooded, and I'm going to wipe out every living thing. I'm, I'm going to take out every living thing. And Noah, I imagine after wondering if God joked with him or not, like he begins to take it seriously. Like, seriously, you're going to wipe out everything in 120 years? God's like, yes, I'm going to take it all out. Here's what I need you to do. So he listens, and then he begins to obey. God gives him this detailed description of a boat he's supposed to make. We call it the ark. Let me tell you something now. This ark, it didn't, uh, it's in like a little rowboat we're taking out on the, on the lake. This isn't like carving out a canoe by cutting down one tree, right? Like this is a massive undertaking. Matter of fact, that parking lot out there, I walked it off. It's too small for the ark. It's this massive boat, 75 feet wide, 50 feet tall. So that's over four stories tall. And it's, it's one and a half football fields long. Now that, that's some trips to Home Depot. Right? To build, to build something like that. And God gives him these detailed description of how to build the ark. And the Bible says that Noah obeyed. Uh, um, one of the translations actually kind of gives you the attitude in which he obeyed. It says that he obeyed with reverent awe. What's that look like? What's it look like to have reverent awe? Man, this week we had uh, Parent Equip here. It's, it's something that Matt Altman, uh, our director for the children's ministry across all campuses, has, has kind of developed. And we split up parents in all different rooms, and they had the veteran couples. I don't know how y'all took that. I took that as they, they would call me old, but they, they brought the veteran couples in. And we, we had uh, some single moms and some single dads as veterans as well. And we gathered folks up in rooms. They split them out across the different rooms, and they could ask questions. And... Uh, we would try to give the little bit of advice we have from the years of experience of, of raising kids. And one of these terms, I know you younger parents, y'all hear it all the time. I hadn't heard it before, so I was learning as well. Somebody asked the question, what do you think about gentle parenting? I looked over at Cheryl. I'm like, 
Well, they ain't, they ain't teach you that, did they? They're like, we, we, we didn't hear much about gentle parenting growing up. That just, that just wasn't a thing. And gentleness, like, that's certain. That's a quality that Jesus shows. Like, he's a gentle savior at times, but he's also a savior that will tell you the truth, that'll keep you out of the ditch. And so it was, it was this interesting deal where, whereas we, we address this real topic in, in our world about gentle parenting, um, we started working through like what we did with our kids, and I, a couple of my kids are in the room. We um, really worked on tone. Young parents, like you got to learn the tone. Like you don't ever have to yell. As a matter of fact, better if you never yell. But if you just got this tone to your voice, even for the little babies, they start picking up. Oh, that that lady is serious, right? Like th- th- there becomes this reverent awe. Like they already like great parents. They have a power about them but the children also know that they have unfailing love for them. So there's, there's a power and an affection. They, they go hand in hand. And, and Cheryl always reminds me, we hugged way more than we did anything else. There was a lot of hugging and singing and, and hanging out. But there were these moments when the tone changed and, the, and Cheryl gets that crazy eye. Everybody better be, better be on the watch, right? Dads, this is a massive deal for your family, for your kids to grow up with some reverent awe for you and and your wife, e- even if you're divorced in and, and two different homes, it is really important for you to uphold this, this position of authority, both for you and your former wife. It, it's, a, it's a massive deal for their health. Uh, it's a tone, there's a consistency, there's a showing of strength. And showing of strength, I think, think in our culture, because it's talked about a lot, the very first thing that comes to mind is abuse. There's nothing in this conversation that looks anything like abuse. Right? There is abuse in our culture, and it's, it's uh, awful at times. But when you, when you think about power, connected, unfailing love, you really don't picture abuse. You picture, though, this, this strength that kids need to feel so they can feel safe. So they know where the lines are, so they can color in them. Israel, my third child, second son, was here first service. Israel's got, Israel's got big eyes. He always had these pretty eyes when he was a kid. Still does, Israel, if you're around, back in the room. But, uh, Israel never got in trouble. I saw Isaiah. He got in trouble some. Mariah got away with everything with me. Cheryl had to get her. But Israel never got Israel was just like the most... Uh, he just did exactly what we said most of the time, but the times that he didn't were like great stories, so I got to tell him, all right? It's one particular time. I'm at work. I'm in a meeting, and I'm over uh, on the other side of town, over on the northeast side of town, and Cheryl calls me. I don't remember. I remember being in a room like with 10 men, and, and, and she called. It was either the second time. We got to deal with the phone rings twice. I get it, so I answer, and she tells me the story about what Israel did. I'm like, I don't know what it is. Dad, you got to have this gear. I'm like, I'll be there in 25 minutes. I left the meeting, and I headed home, and uh, Israel sat in his room in reverent awe, right? Like, he sat there and waited. And um, when I got there, I walk into the door, like, Dad, you all know this? Like, I don't know what to do, but I need to figure this out. Like, like he clearly cannot speak to his mother like that, and I got to solve it. He's 10 because it's going to get way more complicated when he's 15. He cannot speak to his mother that way. So when I got to his door, we had those, these, we had the cheap doors, you know, that are hollow. They're not solid wood. And I, I'm looking at the door, and it was cracked. I hadn't seen him yet. And I just want him to feel my presence. And so I just kind of popped that door. 
You know how like you, you just make, if something makes a bunch of noise, it just creates like a little fear. I popped that door, and as the door swung open, Israel's eyes, like they were as big as they could be. There, there I was. Now, this isn't that impressive of a body, but when you tend and, and you just said something to my bride, there's some reverent awe going on. His eyes are big, and he's like, Dad, and I'm like, would you say your mama? And, and we had this conversation. I, I, I Really, nothing else happened. We had this conversation. And to my knowledge, I never had to have the conversation again because there was a moment there where he had to deal with me, a man. Man, our, our nation is dying to have some dads that carry that. Well, moms, you too. And, and it's not just for families. Like, we need people in the society that have a strength about them. It's not some sort of bravado but it's got a depth of character that you just have to deal with. And uh, Noah clearly had that for God. So what's happening is our, our, our future generations, because they don't have a reverent awe for their parents, it's really hard for them to understand how to have a reverent awe for God. It's confusing as heck. We call him our father. Noah had it. And... Uh, he listened, obeyed, and then he built. He built this massive boat. It would hold 450 semi-trucks. That's how big that boat was. If you could back up semi-trucks in it and stack them, 450, 3.1 million linear feet of wood in that rascal. You talk about a project, man. I definitely want a nail gun for that thing. I do not want to swing the hammer that entire time. They didn't have it. Some folks, like as they do the research throughout history, there's only been a couple wooden ships that have ever been built this side. One of them, Chi the Chinese built in the, in the 1400s. Uh, boats that were that size made out of wood, it was massive. It is super underrated how long it took Noah and his three sons and their four brides to build this massive boat. When you think about obeyed God, I like to put built in there because it was... It was, he obeyed them completely. He did exactly what, it's, what he was told. I think it's a little confusing because like, oh, this is a dramatic story. And what are we supposed to do in Lexington, South Carolina, 2023? Well, I print my scripture out here so I can see it. I need it in 16 font so I can see it. But uh, and there's a lot of instructions in here. They are pretty clear. Some of it's not clear. Sometimes I read it, it's not clear. But there's a lot in here that is really clear. The question is, am I obeying it? I saw the McCutcheons over here. Chris came over to the house um, and uh, wanted us as elders to pray. His back was really jacked up, and he wants to pray for his back. And we're praying, so we got our hands. By the way, we, that's one of the things we love to do as elders, pray, pray for folks that are sick. So we got our hands on We're praying, and Chris goes, stop. Like, we're praying like... Did he get healed? Like, what happened? Like, like, what's going on? He's like, we're not doing this right. I'm like, what's he talking about? He goes, you're supposed to anoint my head with oil. I'm like, man, I got like zero W20 out in the garage. Like, listen. It's like, no, like, like. So we go get vegetable. He, he had read the passage, which is absolutely accurate to the New Testament. That when the elders are supposed to pray over someone sick, you're supposed to anoint their head with oil. So I found some vegetable oil. That's the best I could do. And we put it, I probably, Wendy, I probably dripped it on a shirt. I don't remember, but I just put it on his head because I was, I, we were just trying to obey it exactly like it says. And Chris led us there. It's a great blessing for families when a group of men 
whether they're fathers or not. Obey completely. That goes for everybody. So I, I think, man, when we watch Noah for 120, they say from 60 to 120 years build this ship, this boat. Man, a lot of us going to work, grinding every day, and it, it, like the, it, it's a responsible thing to do to go to work, but there's, there's this attitude in which we do it which we're, where we're under his authority as opposed to just the boss man's authority or our own ambition. It's just different. It just sets us apart. It's a crazy line here. I thought it was perfect for, for Father's Day. I don't know if you saw it, but he says, He obeyed God who warned him about the things that have never happened before, but right before that it says... He built a large boat to save his family. That is a powerful line for every dad in the room. Sometimes you go, man, if it was just that easy, like if it was just building a boat, man, we're not talking about, we're talking about 60 years. Definition of a man is taking responsibility. That's how we define a man. It's a long focus on what matters. And that, that goes for ladies too. Like, Really, it shows us who we are by, by, by where our minds are locked on what matters. And in, in our case, if you know Jesus, what matters to God? When I think about the long like parenting ride with my kids and, and with Cheryl as my wife, I think of like key moments. Like we had... Our 11th year of marriage, we weren't very good. Like we were hard on each other, and our marriage was not very good, but we stayed, and we worked through it, and God confronted us on some stuff, and we worked some stuff. That was a really, really important year when I think about the 34 years that we got. There was a, a season where District 1 handed out iPads to all the students, and they ain't really worked out the kinks on the iPads yet, and they came to my house, and and I'm watching what, what's happening to the three kids I had in school. I turned them back in. And everybody's like, you can't turn them back in. I'm like, I just, I just did. Like, we ain't having that in my house. Y'all figure it out, and then you can send it back. And they're like, you're going to have to take the test on paper. I'm like, work for like 100 years. We'll be fine. Let's take the test on paper. <laughs> like, it was just this moment where I'm like, I got to rise up. I got to do something. We got, got those highlight stories in our life as fathers, as mothers, as folks that love people in our radius. But the real story is the grind. It's the 60 years. Um, it's all the times when you show affection, dads. It's all the times when you get up out of the lazy boy, when knuckleheads being knucklehead, right? And it just needs to be addressed. It's all the reps and this, this landing of what you believe is really important, what matters. You imagine what Noah's wife was saying about how the savings account was going next time he goes to Home Depot. When he looks over at Japheth and like, hey, hey go to Home Depot. We need, we need a trailer full of wood just to get the day's work. She's like, baby, we ain't, we've been saving and you, you spending all of our savings? What, what's going on? He's demonstrating to his family what matters, which he must have had a deep walk with God for his wife to let him go to Home Depot that many times, right? And his sons, they're showing up to work when all of culture is going this way. You don't think they were getting laughed at? All the culture is going this way, and they're showing up with a dad to work, and their wives are following them. Impressive dude. Not because of the drama and 
craziness of this ask by God to know, but because he stayed with it, he completely obeyed. He saved his family. It then says, and it's a tough line, it's one I want to be careful with with you this morning, that he condemned the world. What does that mean? He condemned the rest of the world. I don't know if you guys know this, this verse, but it's John 3, 17. It's right after the famous verse, and it says that Jesus did not, he came not into the world to condemn the world, but he came into the world to save the world. It says Jesus came not to condemn it, but to save it. But then it says about Noah that he condemned the world. What does that mean? Well, I actually think it's a pretty healthy way to hold our world accountable by just simply staying on the rails in faith, following God. And just by going the direction that God asks, you're going opposite and you're preaching a sermon. You don't think that ark preached a sermon? You don't think when you make a decision with your kids about the tech that they have that you're preaching a sermon? One, you're saving your family, and condemn seems harsh, but you're also demonstrating to the world what's healthy. You don't think you're preaching to the world when you make decisions on your schedule, dads, by the way, man, you're here. It's Father's Day. Could have been somewhere else. Thank you for leading your family here. That's cool. We do that with our whole schedule, like where our time goes. We show what matters to our kids by where we put our time. It's, a, uh, it's a, this powerful statement that the writer of Hebrew makes about who Noah was. He saved his family, and as he was saving his family, he was condemning the world. Uh, in Second Peter, it actually calls him a preacher of righteousness. So there's been uh, folks that would, would assume that like he worked on the boat in the day, because like, <laughs> 60 years of work, and at night he went to town and he warned everybody that there was this flood coming. We don't know that for a fact. Second Peter calls him a preacher of righteousness, which may just be building the boat, but it seems that it was both a work and a witness. Uh, that seems like an appropriate ask for me and you as dads, for me and you as followers of Jesus, that in Lexington we work, we do our work as unto the Lord, we'd raise our families as unto the Lord, and at times that would be totally counterculture. Um, but that we'd also witness because we love our neighbors. We want them to miss out on what is coming. Let me read you a verse. It's heavy. It's Jesus talking. It's in a book called Matthew. Matthew records Jesus' life. Take some time to read it sometimes. It's Matthew chapter 24. When the Son of Man returns, when Jesus comes back, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time when Noah entered his boat. That's a crazy line. Like, we just read it from God's view in Genesis chapter 6, which is, it was chaos. Things were coming off the rails. But Matthew actually captures how the world viewed it. It was just normal times. People were going to parties. They were going to weddings, and they were enjoying banquets. Then all of a sudden, it began to rain. You ever kind of tried to picture in your mind, like two guys in a world where it never rained and a drop hits them on the head? Like, bro, stop spitting. I told you, man. Like, stop spitting. Like, and they're trying to figure it out. And here's Noah in the boat knowing what's about to come. And, 
and the difficulty thinking about all the people that he knows that are about to lose their life. And then as the waters came down for 40 days, and if you, if you read, the waters come up out of the earth as well, the entire planet is flooded. For many, they're like, that is just a fairy tale. Whoa. Bro, you, you might want to do a little research before you call it a fairy tale. Because like every historian like across the world, all of these historians from different parts of the world talk about this great flood. Look, where do you think they got that? They didn't have the Bible to read. They talk about this flood. The folks that just study, just in our country, go to the Grand Canyon. They cannot figure out why there's millions and millions of fossils of animals and plants that, that were fossilized whole. So like they didn't decay, they were just caught up in the sediment and, and there's, this animal died in the sediment. It was washed away by, by the movement of dirt. There's all kinds of evidences that there was a flood. Noah was right in the middle of it, going this way, and the whole world was going this way. And they paid the price. You and I, here we are, verse 39 says, people didn't realize what was going, on, going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes, when Jesus comes back. Thessalonians says he'll come like a thief in the night. So it ought to make us good preachers, right? Like for one, we won't be prepared for that day. We'll save our family. Two, like when it says condemn the world, if you take that a little less negative, like we want the world to know because we want them to save their families. Final line, we'll quit. It says that Noah in, in Hebrews chapter 11, he received the righteousness that comes by faith. What does that mean? So he saved his family. He condemned the world. And God, he, he got this reward, it seems like. He received the righteousness that comes by faith. Uh, one translation actually says he's an heir of righteousness. means uh, not only is he a son of God, but God included him in the will. Right? He's an heir of righteousness. What, what does that mean? Because every Sunday, if you're part of Radius, you know in a minute we're going we're gonna to celebrate the Lord's Supper. He said to do this in remembrance of him. And what we believe is that his blood is kind of a gross meal because it represents his blood and his body broken on the cross. We remember it every week because we believe that by his sacrifice, we've been justified. Those of us that have believed him, we've been justified. We've been saved by his sacrifice. And then by his sacrifice, when we're justified, he imparts to us righteousness. So when God looks at us as holy, he looks at us and calls us righteous. It's nuts because I know some of y'all. The last thing I think about, I know me. Like I know my last 24 hours. I, I know what I said to Cheryl yesterday. Like I, I know that I am not righteous, but he calls me righteous based on that blood praise God that's why we sing a bunch here so that's that's saving faith but then there's this it's justifying faith but then there's this sanctifying faith it seems to be that as God gives us that great gift that he expects us to respond with our life and that because it's so great to believe in the broken body and blood of Jesus, that it transforms us, that we would obviously respond with our life. And we'd follow him. We want to know what he has to say. And so Noah does exactly that. He walks with God. He's obedient with God. And he built the boat. I would imagine uh, 
God's asking us those same things this morning. I doubt you need to go home and start building something, literally. But I imagine that God's been working on you for a while on one or two things that you know you need to be obedient in. It might be a change in direction for your family. It might be a change in schedule. I don't know exactly what it is for you. But man, it matters to be obedient to God based on our faith in him. The story ends with Noah worshiping. Flood comes, destroys everything. I, I, I always imagine him walking off the boat for the first time after being in there for a year for one. It had to smell in there, right? Like, uh, but he's walking off the boat, and, and he's seeing ground again. For the, you, you see somebody get off the plane and kiss the ground. You think, no, man, kiss the ground. Glad to see the ground again. And his attitude seemed completely dialed in to his Savior, the one who had spoken to him and saved his family because what's the very first thing he does? He worships. He comes off the boat and he worships. He, he makes a sacrifice to the Lord and leads his family in worship. A bunch of dads decided to be here this morning. Thank you for bringing your family here and leading them to worship. It is the natural spot response to a Savior to worship him. It's interesting. God institutes a covenant with with Noah and all mankind, and even the animals, it says. And he, he causes the very first rainbow. Remember, it ain't rained yet. This is the first time it's rained. There's moisture in there. There's, there's this, this rainbow. It's been hijacked a little bit in, in our culture right now. But for you and I, no matter where we see it, it'd be a really healthy thing for us, instead of getting angry, to celebrate God. Celebrate God. What he, that's, that's his thing. That ain't nobody else's thing. That's his thing. He put the rainbow in play. He made a covenant with us. He demonstrated. Some folks talk about the judgment. What about the grace? He says, I ain't never, I'm not doing it again. It's beautiful. Let's worship him now. Jesus, you know us. Uh, <laughs> we're glad to be here this week. We, we need to be constantly reminded that you're faithful, and we need each other, and we need your spirit to help us walk in faith. So help us, Lord. Does my heart good looking around the room and seeing all these dads here that chose to come today. Pray, even as we sing these two songs, that you'd meet them as, uh, as they read the words or sing the words, that you'd meet them in this room that you'd encourage them to be faithful, that you'd put a little wind in their sail that way right now. God, that goes for all of us. Lord, when we're just a little hard of hearing, would you speak a little louder so that we could hear you and listen? Or when we're lazy or scared, would you help us be obedient? Lord, we want to be completely obedient. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.